Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV Pilot's License Flight Number 5 with service to Las Vegas, Nevada. We ask that you please fasten your headphones at this time and secure your podcasting device, and make sure that all animal pheromones are stored safely in an airtight container. Welcome to the TV Pilot's License. My name is Jeff Curvis, joined by Max Singer and Rich Inman. Rawr! (laughs) (laughs) How are you boys doing? Oh, really perturbed right now. That was (laughs) definitely did not need to hear Max's on the prowl sounds. I think we got enough. uh, We got enough horny animals in this show. Uh, I think think you didn't hear it. (laughs) Well, for those who can't tell by the animal sounds, or maybe that we're going to Las Vegas, Nevada, this week we chose a little bit of a different direction. We're back in the year two thousand four but not for Entourage or one of the many hits of that year, but for a little unknown classic, and yes, I am now calling this a classic because it is forever burned into my brain, called Father of the Pride. If you've never seen an episode like most of the world, then you can find this on Peacock and all 13 episodes of it on Peacock. But before we dive into much, you know, this is set in Vegas, what are your guys' thoughts about Vegas? Do you have fond memories of it? What are your experiences as a whole? I love Las Vegas so freaking much. <laughs> I I am such a sucker for Vegas. Uh, I've got such a soft spot, too, for the Mirage, where the show takes place. It's the only Vegas hotel I've stayed at more than once. It was the first <laughs> Vegas hotel I ever stayed at. And the first time I went, I was like a year out of college, and... They've got a card game in the casino at the Mirage where you could just play war, like where you draw cards, you see who's the higher one. And I've never lost a hundred bucks so quick in my <laughs> life as playing war with a dealer in the Mirage Casino. Uh, I, I love Vegas as well. I've been uh, a couple times with, with both of you. And uh, I do also want to say that uh, the Mirage is part of history because uh, it is part of a hotel conglomerate. Uh, with the Bellagio and the MGM Grand, which I believe Wait, Rich. are... Yeah? Are those Terry Benedict's casinos? Those are Terry Benedict's <laughs> casinos. <laughs> Ocean's Eleven reference. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, nary an Ocean's Eleven reference made in this show. Yeah, and as far as Vegas for me, I have gotten the experience of Vegas um, a little bit different than how they show it off in the movies. I've done the one-night in a super fancy hotel on the Strip. And then I stayed in a timeshare, baby, right off the Strip at the Wyndham Grand Desert. Ooh. Ooh. Driving around in a Nissan minivan to go to the Grand Canyon, as well as other destinations. If you want to have a great time on the Strip, I'm your boy. Over 30 (laughs) Vegas, baby. Uh, that's ex- notably extremely off the strip. <laughs> if you want to be able to see the strip from afar, you yeah, got to hang out with Jeffrey Kerbis. Before we dive too much into Father of the Pride and the animal's perspective of Vegas, um, let's talk a little bit about the synopsis, right? So Larry is a middle-aged, overweight white lion originally from the Bronx Zoo who through a bizarre series of events becomes the star of Siegfried and Roy's world-famous magic show. Note he is replacing his father-in-law, Samardi. 
At times, Larry tries not to speak his mind, but usually ends up exposing his true feelings. Max, that has nothing to do with the pilot we watched. <laughs> I was about to say, I don't remember learning any of this. Did I need to watch it twice? And John Goodman does not have a Bronx accent, so I have so many questions about how this got made. You have to let us know. There is so much going on. Um, so we're going to take it back to a little time called 2002. Uh, NBC Universal, DreamWorks, they're riding high on the success of a movie you may have heard of called Shrek. Oh. Uh, Shrek is going to come up in this podcast oh. more than once. Uh, so I hope you like it as much as we do. Uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who is the head of DreamWorks, he's the former chairman of Disney Studios. He conceives the original idea for this show, and I have the greatest Jeffrey Katzenberg quote of all time about the conception. Before you get too deep in it, when you said Jeffrey, I was like, I definitely had nothing to do with this, and I don't want my name besmirched. <laughs> uh, all right, picture about, this. You, it's you, an 11-year-old to... Jeffrey Kerbis. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, Max, are you referring to uh, Father of the Bride, uh, Father of the Pride, and also Father of the Quibby, Jeffrey Katzenberg? Oh, the man himself! <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> yeah, if you this guy want cannot stop making make, hits. If you want a flop TV show, call Jeffrey Katzenberg. Apparently, <laughs> all right. <clears throat> so here we go. I thought. I wonder what it's like for those lions. What must it be like from their point of view? They're living in Las Vegas, trying to raise a family and earn a living. In animation, we look for those things. A way to look at our lives through a fantasy world. It allows us to take on subjects that are too difficult to do with real people. It allows us to be more controversial, edgier. There could be parody and innuendo and satire. Things can be sophisticated in a way that even our feature films can't be. Uh, these are all things I've also said to myself while walking through a zoo, but probably for different reasons than Jeffrey Katzenberg. I mean, that sounds like a great TV show. Why Are we going to watch that one? Nope. <laughs> yeah, uh, Max, uh, I don't think that counts if you just keep asking the penguins at the zoo if they've seen Ice Age. <laughs> oh, dude, come on. Surf's up was right there. Come on. <laughs> And, and Happy Feet. Yeah, I was about to say Happy Feet. That's the that's the. Why go-to. the hell did I lead with Surfs Up? What's the matter with me? <laughs> um, Couldn't even go with Zootopia. All right, so Katzenberg brings on Jonathan Groff to serve as the showrunner. Uh, once he, once again, not the guy from Hamilton. No, 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 not the Broadway actor from Spring Awakening in Hamilton. Uh-huh. Jonathan Groff was at the time the head writer and producer for The Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Uh, he's going to go on to do things like Andy Barker P.I. He's the showrunner for the later scre- seasons of Scrubs. Uh, he'll do a whole run of things for ABC later on, um, though prefaces as this is an NBC show. Um, he does Happy Endings, Blackish, Black AF for Netflix. He's had a great career. Uh, and Father of the Pride. After they put um, him down after making this. Oh my god, Rich. So, so off the bat, <laughs> things are a little contentious. Uh, the Writers Guild of America gets into a whole issue with NBC and DreamWorks uh, over which union has control on this show uh, because it is a primetime sitcom. They want to make sure that these writers are protected by WGA. Uh, for those listening who maybe aren't familiar, if you're in an animation guild, 
you tend to earn less per episode, your residuals aren't as good, you don't get as good of benefits typically, um, all things that should be changed. Um, but it ends up taking a team of animators, about 200 people, two years to make this season wow. of TV. Wow. And unfortunately, the WGA is not the only hiccup this show hits in pre-production. I don't believe that for a second. No way. Uh, because this episode airs on August 31st, 2004. That's a premiere date. Almost, we're almost of, 18 years. The year we, invade, October the day of, we invaded Iraq. <laughs> in October of 2003, Roy Horde is attacked on stage during their show at the Mirage by a lion. And the show, their show, is officially over. At the time that this sitcom's getting created, though, Siegfried and Roy are insanely big. They had just signed a lifetime contract with the Mirage. They were going to do eight shows a week, 44 weeks a year, estimated $50 million a year. That is bigger than any of God these damn. Vegas residencies going on right now. Like I cannot like state enough how big Siegfried and Roy are. They urge NBC after Roy Horn is stable to continue with the show. They're saying how much it means to them, how much they want to see it make it to air. So we've got a show now, and we are pumping it heavy during the Athens Olympic Games in 2004. If you remember, uh, this is like every single ad for NBC, and they're really leaning into that from the careers of Shrek angle. So people think they're getting like a fun, family-friendly Shrek-esque sitcom. Oh boy. When this airs, it is one of the most expensive 30-minute comedies ever made. It costs between two and two point five million dollars per episode, which doesn't sound like a lot in these days of like prestige TV and all of like the wild cable stuff we see. But back then, especially for network, this is absolutely insane. And NBC needs a hit so bad. When this show aired in that August, they only have two other comedies on the air total. They've got Will and Grace, Oof. and they've got Scrubs. Oof. And then they've got Father of the Pride. They had a mid-season pickup they were banking on that was called Come to Papa with Tom Papa and Steve Carell. Uh, this lasted what? This lasted uh, all four four episodes. So this is so, pre-office. This is like they gave Steve Carell a huge other shot almost immediately after that. And it didn't work. So this is their cornerstone uh, along with one other sitcom that's going to air about three weeks after this, called Joey. Oh, hey. hell yeah. Well, yeah, I <laughs> was about to say, Friends ended right before this show even made the, you know, the light of day. Yeah, so now we kind of have to address the little elephant in the room. <laughs> Which there are several. Not, there are so many elephants yeah. in this room. <laughs> Um, this is the premiere episode of Father of the Pride. Mm -hmm. It is not the pilot. The uh -huh. pilot that was produced never saw the light of day. It was never aired by NBC. They took all of the footage from it. They broke it back down into flashback episodes that you see throughout the series. So if you're watching this to get ahead of this podcast... Or if you're any of the three of us and you're wondering what the hell is going on from the jump, <laughs> you're not alone. There is a reason. Um, also, uh, just a little fact then, uh, this episode was written by a writer, Cheryl Holiday. Uh, she was a writer and producer on Martin, as well as a writer and executive producer on King of the Hill. 
uh, has done a ton of great stuff. Um, if you are a big fan of like season one, season two of King of the Hill, Cheryl Holiday wrote some of those episodes. Um, so super delightful. But yeah, if you're like, what the fuck is happening here? You're not alone. There's a good reason. It's going to get even weirder than that. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Yeah. Wow. Max, I can only say somehow through all of that, I feel like I understand so much more about what happened in that show without you talking about the plot whatsoever. There's one thing I did want to make sure to say. This pilot was directed by John Stevenson, um, whom, if you do not know who that is, he directed Shrek, Kung Fu Panda, as well as Shrek 2. Um, So when they say the creators of Shrek brought this to life, geez, they really tried their hardest. Um... So, let's start this synopsis of the show, and I'm worried to get into it because I feel like I'm going to be reliving some terrible memories. But we start off with John Goodman singing Viva Las Vegas 2. Gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. What was it, John? I want to say that's probably half the cost of the most expensive pilot that's been made. And biggest, most expensive flop that's been made by by NBC is Why just paying. Why was John it. Goodman singing so much in the early two thousands? Like this Blues Brothers two thousand. Oh Blues my god! Yes, yeah. yeah. Like, listen, I love that John Goodman loves to sing. Uh, you should express yourself. I love to sing. John Goodman should not be doing this much singing. <laughs> I don't know well, what the hell you're talking about. He, uh, I, I mean. I think it's a good indicator that he shouldn't be singing because they gave him one of the least musical parts in No Brother Where Art Thou. Is it, that is that not a good enough indicator that he shouldn't be singing? But they did trust him with the entire title sequence. Yeah, the the entire entire excuse me the entire title <laughs> sequence. Vegas baby. Yeah, they, <laughs> oh my god. We are recording the, this live from a poker table the, at the Mirage. I'm. Five drinks deep. The waitress is consistently telling me I need to have more chips to get more drinks. Um, (laughs) So one of the things that came to mind was this was just uh, a nightmare dream was the title sequence. It literally, I I see an overweight lion somehow, you know, we're going to get into the idea of anthropomorphic lions that somehow have curves and others are seemingly obese um but oh yeah you're talking you're talking about that uh uh that lola bunny space jam effect jesus like (laughs) this was one of those things where we're rushed into the idea of this is a lion he lives here he he works for siegfried and roy that's it that's the show and then immediately we are told that this lion is horny. I, I have an issue even more so than that. Why are the lion and the elephant the exact same size? <laughs> guys, <laughs> guys, it's the president of NBC. Uh, huddle up for a second. Uh, I watched the pilot. I watched the pilot of oh, Father J- of the Bride. Jack, Jack Donaghy? This is Jack Donaghy. <laughs> Jack Donaghy, is that you? <laughs> uh, I'm also the head of the microwaves division. Uh, now, uh, we ran a couple tests with the pilot, and uh, we need to talk about something. Uh People aren't turned on enough by the lions. 
These people should want to bang the Lions. Look, we are we're NBC. God damn it, we are the network of cheers and friends. Oh, people, no. our audience wants one thing, and that's fuckable Lions. Uh, y- y- yes, Mister Doggy. Yeah, anything you say, sir. <laughs> and how's the pilot for Joey coming along? Oh, no. uh, <laughs> I will say this: the opening or the opening scene of this pilot. Right, we are brought into the zoo we see larry the lion um walking his presumed son uh to school um do you know who plays the son i who plays the son daryl sabara of spy kids fame oh my god man that kid was thriving he thought that he had made it big when he signed on to that nbc pilot Whoa, um, that is some that is some big dick swinging uh, IMDb credit for a very young man. I am very impressed uh, by what he was able to pull off. Congrats to him. So what do we think that, so the child's name was Hunter. What do we think that Hunter did to deserve the cone of shame around his head? Because I've only seen that in instances of extreme surgery for animals or, you know, if they're neutered. Um, so do we think it's one or the other and why? Oh yeah. That kid can't stop playing with himself. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are reaching the, the peak adolescence of, uh, I mean, that would honestly track for, for how this is. This is basically like a Chris Griffin type character from, uh, for father of the bride. And also like, okay, I just want to point out one particular thing, uh, because this does center around lions. The animals trained by Siegfried and Roy are tigers. I'm just going to say it. They're tigers. There is a white lion who's also featured in their show. No yeah. shit. Okay. There's, is that the there's one? one. Yeah. Is that the one that mauled Roy? No, that was a tiger. Oh. <laughs> His name was Montecore. He's a friend of the pod. <laughs> friend of the pod, Montecore. If you hear this, give me a call. Um, but, yeah, no, it... I, I'm like, you might find that I'm at a loss for words during this entire podcast because I there's so much happening. Larry proceeds to then tell a gopher, uh, I think it was Snack, who's played Play by, by Orlando, Orlando Jones. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> My dog. Um, that his wife is in heat and his daughter's going to be out of the house too. And I thought, what better opportunity than to educate our audience on... Lions being in heat. Uh, so for those that do not know, I was had the distinct honor of being in Africa during mating season. So, boys, a little quiz for you. <laughs> mating, mating season's all year round, baby. How many days no, no. does a female lion remain in heat? Oh, God. Is it one day? Oh, boy. Is it five days? Is it eight days or is it four days? Oh, oh, well, the, the number went down at the end. That was a that was a curveball. <laughs> <laughs> like we're getting all sorts of balls on this uh, this podcast. Uh, I'm gonna go with four days. Okay, and Max, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it. Uh, I'm gonna go for the top here. We're going eight days of heat for a lioness. Ooh. Well, Rich, add one to your scoreboard because oh, the average baby. female lion will be in heat for three to four days. And not only that, the male and female line will have sex continuously 
every 15 minutes for Jesus three Christ. to four days without eating. Now, we might be thinking, Jesus, how are they doing that every 15 minutes? It's because each second session only lasts six to 10 seconds at a time. So Guys, you feel you bad about need, yourself. You don't need more than that if you're doing it right. <laughs> then you feel a little bit better about yourself all within that. Uh, so when I initially heard Larry was in heat, or Larry's uh, wife was in heat, Kate, played by Cheryl Hines of Curb Your Enthusiasm fame. God, this voice cast is so good. <laughs> it's so good. And let, let us also be uh, let it also be said that uh, another wo- another character with a husband named Larry. It's one of those things where same universe. Yeah, possibly. Or Cheryl <laughs> Hines has a type when she's reading scripts. Um, when she oh, that, that type is a QAnon person, so let's be careful. Oh no. <laughs> So we um, we see Larry start to rush back home to meet with Kate. Um, For the little zoom zoom and the boom boom as he tells his son. Come on, shake your rump. Oh, before we even get to Larry being like the head of the town, he mentions a Gandalf toy to a figurine to his son out yes. of nowhere. And I just, it blew my mind of thinking, did the writers just say, we need a 2004 reference. Lord of the Rings is hot right now. Let's just so throw that in. Also, NBC definitely does not own the rights to Lord of the Rings at this point. No, but I think it's just funny that they imply like the zoo world of this, where it's like uh, some kid probably threw a toy over the fence or something got left in like an enclosure or something, and now it's the kid's toy. Absolutely insane. No, no, no. Let's use our imagination to think Larry <laughs> goes to Toys R Us, which is still around at this point in time, puts down... Well, yeah, it's, it's actually, no, it's owned by a giraffe. This is not that yeah. <laughs> There's a Toys R Us in the Mirage. Shout, shout out Larry to the, goes down. the Toys R Us giraffe, friend of the pod. He asks... Another Jeffrey. <laughs> Another Jeffrey. Most Jeffrey's friend of the pod. Bezos. <laughs> the, the giraffe. Epstein. Uh, oh my god well i'll give jeffrey the giraffe some credit he spells his name the correct way um so from there though after we we're only like 20 seconds into this episode um we find out that larry is sort of the head of the town as the white lion right everyone's asking an orangutan asks him to check out a mole a elephant starts asking if he has a house key for his roommate turkey the elephant is definitely having sex with the turkey, right? Yeah, I don't... Uh, 100%. Yeah, the, the complex string of interspecies relationships in this uh, show is not lost on any of us. It is very blatant from the moment they start. Yeah, this is the first of many interspecies uh, relationships. Also, like, for some reason, Somehow not it, doesn't the most troubling. Where, it doesn't matter where the animals are actually from in the world. Uh, allegedly, John Gibbons from the Bronx, although we don't really see this. But for some reason, the elephant is the only character who they gave this really thick uh, like oh. Indian accent to. Yeah, I and it's very much an Apu moment in The Simpsons where you're like, oh no. Um, is, is he is he voiced by a white person? Oh no, 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 no. Oh is, thank God. Yeah, luckily <laughs> he is not. Um, oh God. But finally, Larry makes it home. Um, he sees Kate. He starts talking about Mountain Time, uh, which. John oh, Goodman giving, um, doing, uh, also starts talking about his pee, 
John Goodman talking about foreplay is something I never knew I never needed to hear again. Uh, maybe nine o'clock in New York, but right here it's mountain time. It's like the worst <laughs> version of live from New York. It's Saturday night. <laughs> but the but, best way to ask someone for sex at any point. <laughs> but then we, we, uh, Kate is interrupting him to say that they have a guest and it's Lisa Kudrow playing a panda named Fu Lin. What? Okay, so now you know how much Lisa Kudrow made for the last several seasons of Friends. How much do you think we got? She got paid for this particular episode of Father of the Pride. So I have already said this is one of the most expensive comics <laughs> ever made. <laughs> yes, it's the it's the president of NBC again. I just found out how long the mating period is for lions and how many times they could do it in one day. How can we work this in? Also, I found a really exciting way to tell people it's on in different time zones. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fulin is in the dumps because her sister is pregnant, which I will give this show one piece of credit in saying that they really did nail that pandas don't have sex often because she says that she's a 30-year-old virgin. I don't know if pandas can live to be 30 but I just accepted it and moved on. Meanwhile, we have someone doing research in the back. It's one of our associate producers um, from there. How, uh, not me writing, how long does it take pandas to die instead of how long do they live? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's... Jeff, I, I, oh, no. Oh, what did you find out, Rich? Oh, boy, only 15 to 20 years. <laughs> oh, no. Lin is matronly rough. at this point. Um, Some but zoo pandas though, have Jeff, lived you, to 35. You've skipped over something, I believe. Oh, no. Very what, what was it? I can't wait to Are hear. Are we not going to bring up Lion John Goodman spraying whipped cream on his nipples and making a smiley face? Max, don't you worry. I was going to talk about our Varsity Blues moment for sure. <laughs> our, our second Varsity Blues reference in this podcast, in this very Third? Young podcast. Third? <laughs> Yeah, Ali Larder, uh, oh Operation God. Varsity Blues, and now Father of the Pride. Wow. Oh, oh my God! All all shows from two thousand four. We're through the looking glass, gentlemen. <laughs> all roads have, lead the blues. We have to leave the year two thousand four for sure. Um, but through that, if you're not stunned enough by this voice cast, right? John Goodman, Cheryl Hines, Lisa Kudrow. Uh, we'll even give Daryl Sabara a bone. Carl Reiner. Yeah, shout out to Judy. <laughs> Carl Reiner appears out of nowhere. Dude, what the fuck? As the Carl most Reiner. Jewish lion that I've ever known <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and if you didn't think we were bringing it back to Ocean's Eleven in the pod about a Vegas TV show, Incorrect. Carl Reiner was here to make sure we were wrong. Oh, man. I Okay, so not only is Carl Reiner in this, one of my favorite comedians of all time, uh, an absolute living legend even in 2004 like you know a lot of his top uh performances were behind him uh mm -hmm. this is one of the worst performances i've ever seen and one of the, some of the worst dialogue i've seen be given to a comedy legend it's like they had almost no respect for what he wanted you guys it's the president of nbc oh no <laughs> what what now he has to leave <laughs> this is a private this is a union meeting I've been starting Adderall and watching Mel Brooks movies, and I have an idea. 
But, you know, up to this point, the only thing that I can say is a plot point is Larry is having trouble having sex because of Fu Lin. And Carl Reiner, if we were not sure of the exposition of the episode, is making so much fun of Fu Lin. Oh, wait, before we even talk about that, <laughs> do pandas just eat furniture? Is this just an accepted thing in, like, the universe that we have to worry about our furniture everywhere? Yeah, it's a really lazy bamboo joke. <laughs> Jeff, have you ever seen furniture and a panda in the same place? No, but I saw a really cute video of a guy trying to give panda shots and they were all running away. Highly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, for one, hope we're able to make some progress in finding Fu Lin a mate. Tell me we have some good news here, Jeff. We have excellent news. Uh, oh, thank God. There is Special a, delivery. There's a panda named Bon Bon. Uh, I believe, that is on its way and has been purchased by Siegfried and Roy. But what I'm more interested in is the news story that came up after that said Summer is here with a clown with a gun in its hand. And that's all it showed. (laughs) So I'd like to ask, what exactly does that mean as far as Summer is here? Summer is here. Guys, it's the president of NBC. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it was a bold choice to make John Wayne Gacy a character in the show. <laughs> uh, another living legend they gave terrible dialogue to. We are then brought to... There, there's so much that happens in Larry's house. There's a cat that's begging to be mercy killed by being eaten. Uh, and then the cat has a much deeper voice than I thought anything was happening. Uh, the writers sort of mention before it even happened, the concept of a zoo animal kill- being killed by a rifle and, um, you know, R.I.P. Harambe pre-2004. <laughs> oh, are we are we getting into truly troubling references? Because I took a couple notes. <laughs> oh, Rich, please let us in. <laughs> Uh, I just, I, I, oh god! I know this is a little bit down the road in this pilot, uh, but did anyone catch how they tried to figure out when they started dating? When, when Larry? Oh and... man, when he makes a joke about the littered Skinner plane crash. Why? Yes. Why? Who is this for? <laughs> this truly has to be like, I, I know, I know. This is very much like on the heels of DreamWorks. We have to make like, we have to make more money off of the Shrek phenomenon and stuff like that. Um, but also. This is a clear, like, this is clearly them going after Family Guy, right? Like, this is supposed to be their raunchy show. I don't know. Yeah, but, like, this was also a prime time thing. This wasn't any sort of, like, Sunday animation domination. Like, this premiered on a Tuesday night at 9 p.m. This was a tentpole. They thought they were going to, like, change the industry by doing a CGI primetime show. I... we're also in like the golden age of animation where everything looks terrible but very expensive. Oh my god. This is this animation made me think that this was made. I know that Max you said this was like a 2.5 million dollar pilot, but I could not help but think this was a Russian animation house that was making their own version of the Shrek but happened to use zoo animals. <laughs> yeah, but like DreamWorks animated look 
good. Like if you saw Shrek yeah. or Shrek 2 or like Shark Tale at this time, these look like good movies. I know sometimes when like an animation house is a TV show, they're not exactly giving it to the A-team or like they're outsourcing it. Like, do we think this was just like completely outsourced or something? Because it looks awful. It yeah. It looks like they paid, you know... There is a great thing about outsourcing is sometimes you can collect full rates and only have to pay for half of the price. This looks like they paid a quarter to just some kid on the street (laughs) and told them how to use iMovie, not even an animation software. Yeah, these are the these are the days of uh, Flash Player. And uh, boy, does it look like it's made by that. I mean, I mean, just a massive drop off in quality from Shrek. Shrek actually looks like really well done. They have a lot of like good like you know, fluid motions and like, and designs and everything. It looks very like that type of animation still holds up. Now it does not at all. Once you get in here, it looks like very, it looks like borderline toy story, toy story two type territory. I know this is supposed to be the Mirage, but like, it is just giving 99 shrimp, like scent shrimp cocktail at circus circus vibes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This movie or excuse me, this TV show just gave me so much more appreciation for things that were made before it and after it in this animation style. Like we mentioned Shrek, right? We could even talk about Shrek 2, which came out during I this year. I would love to. <laughs> but this just was a slap in the face. But it, you know what? Credit to this pilot. It made me appreciate animators and all the really hard work they do when they're actually dedicating their time and resources to something. This made me appreciate that studios can't just skirt the lines of animation or trying to make something this hard. There's a reason there's not more primetime animated TV shows out there. There's Family Guy and that's sort of it yeah. uh, as a whole. Yeah, even even South Park for airing on Wednesdays is super late and on cable. It's... Uh... They could have easily gone with a cheaper option of making it a little bit a little bit more two dimensional for the animation, but they really took a big swing and picked something that takes DreamWorks and Pixar and everything. Like it takes them years to put that stuff together, and they tried to make a primetime show out of it. It's truly a very bizarre. Yeah, choice. I mean, obviously these movies that you know when they get made, if you ever look at the budget for a Pixar film or like Illumination, it was Minions and stuff. Like these things cost like hundreds of millions of dollars to make. It's such a labor intensive process. But I've got good news. Oh. Because our heroes, Siegfried and Roy themselves, are about to enter and save the day. Right, Jeff? Yeah. Not only do they enter and save the day, but they enter via a spaceship. And there is no explanation of the mechanics of that spaceship. You guys, it's the president of NBC. (laughs) No. (laughs) I thought I closed the door. Uh, You know how we we normally play a lot of money for animation? Uh, Well, here's my cousin Troy. Uh, He he is Windows uh, Millennium Edition. And I, and I gave him three hundred dollars. That's all not right. my Adderall. All right, Troy, come in here. So we don't actually have the voices of actual Siegfried and Roy. No, one of them was mauled by a lion. <laughs> but we do we got better. Yeah, because we've got David Herman playing Roy, who you might know as Michael Bolton from Office Space, and uh, wow. for like the seven Futurama fans, he plays Scruffy. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> I will say another bright spot of this show, although some of the jokes are super off color when 
such as when they say, when the white men came, uh, in reference to <laughs> the pandas being nearly extinct. Um, some of the Siegfried and... They could have said that for Siegfried and Roy, and Roy yeah. landing in a spaceship. That's what That would have been came. really funny. But <laughs> some of the Siegfried and Roy jokes were actually, like, they got me to giggle a little bit. These are so far and away my favorite characters this entire godforsaken show. <laughs> tell, tell, me more. So tell me what you like. delightful. Liked. They're just, like, these little, like, mischievous, like, tricksters. They're just so, like, whimsical and goofy. And I think, I think it's, like, almost important to set them up as just these absolute, like, oddballs because, like, the the spaceship um we're gonna see them later wear like two fake panda suits to try and observe oh, how that the was process is going some more giggles definitely came from the very <laughs> rotund panda suits but we are introduced to bonbon bon, who is played by uh andy richter yeah but <laughs> we we do come to find out that bonbon bon is not his actual name that's his slave name, which made me spit out my water literally Boy. onto myself as I thought I was safe. You, you sure are. That's how we beat. That's how we beat Nelson the Panda. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, truly, like nothing says 2004 than uh, letting Andy Richter just be himself in an audio, in an audio booth. That is truly a troubling idea. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. Richie controls the universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well i was trying to do some math and i think 2004 andy richter was still technically on late night with conan o'brien at oh, this point in time yeah and just off the heels of the hit movie elf uh which absolute banger of a film i think that was in 2003 so he definitely andy is feeling on top of the world feeling untouchable NBC's throwing him a bone by being Nelson the Panda. Nelson, we find out, has never met another woman. Um, he does meet Kate, and he starts to definitely um, feel welcomed by her. But we all know why Nelson's here, right? He's here to meet Fu Lin, uh, who is very desperate for male attraction. Um, it was actually pretty funny. So the first time Fu Lin and Nelson meet, Nelson isn't aware Fulin's going to be there. During this entire time, Snack, remember, the gopher played by Orlando Jones, is taking bets on how likely Fulin and Nelson are going to uh, be in procreating. But, oh, who's never made a friendly sex bet amongst friends? But from there, <laughs> when, we Nelson, met, right? when Nelson's terrified of Fulin... Snack just declares the panda be gay and then changes the odds of the entire thing to 20 to 1. So do we take those 20 to 1 odds and how much money are you putting down? This is Vegas, of course. Very, very, very strong. Very, very strong. I, uh, I, I think, I think I'm taking it. I, I'm, I'm in a gambling mood. I'm at the Mirage, which famously isn't the Lion Hotel. Which, uh, what am I supposed to do? That's the MGM Grand, which is Max. One of Terry Benedict's casinos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, so, I mean, what, do you, what do you think about this part, Jeff? So this entire, I, I do enjoy a good sports gamble. I have never thought of sex as a sports gamble, um, well, but. 
right now, I think the odds are pretty long and maybe a little bit too high to give my five to ten dollars. Um, but, but we, you know, we come to see. All right, Kate is trying to push this relationship uh, between Fulin and Nelson. They're all hanging out together. But then, you know what? Nelson is interested in someone, but it's Kate. And oh. during all of this, Ooh. Siegfried and Roy are just frolicking around in what I can only describe as blow-up panda costumes. And, and asking uh, each know, other about baseball. You know these guys share bunk beds, like in this universe. <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely give off this... I don't even know how to describe the energy that the Siegfried and Roy characters give off. It's it's closer than brothers. It's weirder than two best friends. It's just something entirely on in its own category. Why are you reading that review from their show in the Las Vegas Ledger? <laughs> <laughs> um, did, did either of you ever actually see the Siegfried and Roy show? I am was never lucky enough to do it. So I I I will admit this very honestly. Uh so a peek into Jeff's window of life. I saw video highlights of Siegfried and Roy in the late nineties and went to my dad and said, I want to go to that. And yeah. my dad said, No. <laughs> and that was... <laughs> end of discussion. That, end that, of conversation. That was the end of the conversation. I mean, there was a lot Mr. going Curtis on. Mr. is more of a Celine fan. We, we, God, could you imagine what your life would have been like if you were allowed to have that experience in your formative years? You know, I there was something I wanted to be more than anything. I wanted to be a zoographer as a kid. Obviously, that did not happen. But who knows? Maybe Siegfried and Roy would have tipped me like over the really edge. It sounds like you really keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeff, you were very insistent that we do this show. <laughs> I, you know, I the people need to know about lion gestation and sexual practices. I'm this is definitely supposed to be the shock and the big problem of the episode that Nelson's into Kate. Um, and Kate is trying to tell Nelson that it's not going to work. We then come to probably another what what's happening here moment of Siegfried and Roy just suddenly have a scientist walk in with every single type of animal pheromone that there possibly is. And while one of the guys is asking what these are, the other one is applying them like they're cologne. Um, <laughs> Those cheeky buggers. <laughs> Max, can you tell us a little bit about what happens after this cologne application? Listen, you put on animal pheromones and you mess with the bull, you're going to get the horns. Yeah. And you mess with the giraffe, you're going to get the neck. And if you mess with all these yeah. animals, yeah, uh, they're all going to want to have sex with you. If you start applying their pheromone seed, they're going to think you're one of their own to mate with. Yes, this is the president of NBC. Oh, Everything. no. <laughs> uh, I've, been, I've been reading this book. It's called Animal Farm. <laughs> how, how far have you gotten, buddy? <laughs> First of all, I probably shouldn't be running a network. <laughs> don't you all, have an electricity to company to take care of at this point in time look that doesn't matter now we need more fuckable animal creatures oh gosh it's it's just insane to me that granted this is not the original 
written pilot, but this is your first look into the show if you are an audience. This is the first you've seen of it. And, like, the main arc of it doesn't even concern our protagonist. Like, if you're following Larry, as we are, you you don't have anything to follow other than he's horny. Like, there's no, there's no A-plot concerning our biggest character. All the action follows Nelson, and it's so confusing because it's like you're not actually getting a good look at like whose story you're going to be going along with for this series yeah there's a i mean i think there's definitely like it's it's going to be larry as the protagonist just because like i don't know people follow him around he is the that is the titular role of being the father of the pride but i ever oh, he said the name oh ding, 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 ding. uh he i mean this is going to be a very loose and weird show. Like there's nothing even indicating that Nelson is going to be part of the show after this episode whatsoever. I, I it's, it's star studded. I love that, but they are, it is just an absolute mess from the beginning. And it's probably because we don't have an actual pilot episode to base this off of. Yeah. You know, we could talk about how this pilot ends and talk about how Carl Reiner uh, calls two pandas Meshugana, makes a very rude baseball reference to Fu oh, yeah. Lin and Nelson about how not everyone's a power hitter and some people just need to hit singles, which, you know what? <laughs> that was, I, I have to give the writer's credit, that was a really funny line. It's the same advice uh, my dad gave me. It, it's 2004, we're at the time of the Moneyball Oakland Athletics, we're just trying to get on base, we're doing analytical baseball, we're it's just trying to put it in play. All about that OBP, that's what Carl Reiner's all about. But but what did we see in the stats about Phil Lynn? She gets on base. Oh, God. The Kevin Euclid of the animal world. Oh, jeez. <laughs> And she's got a hell of a weird swing, just like old Kevin did, too. <laughs> um, as we, you know, go off, Fulin and Nelson do end up getting together. Our boy Larry. Larry does. Larry sings Billy Joel. I don't know how else to say it. John, John Goodman sings Billy Joel. Um to Kate and I got really upset because I love <laughs> Billy Joel so much and this was the rudest thing that could have been done to him. He did nothing. He did nothing to John Goodman. He knows what he did. This is just another example though of men doing the absolute bare minimum to try and get a little no, no, no. Their wives. There's no there's no bears in this. I checked. <laughs> So, <laughs> was there anything that you loved about this pilot? Oh God, uh, is it is it too simplified to say no <laughs> <laughs> and, and not give any explanation afterwards? I I I really just don't think I, I think a lot of things like really took me out of that, like the Leonard Skinner reference. I'm gonna go back to it. It took me out of it. the The Carl Reiner part is like really bad. It actually made me think worse of his like entire repertoire as an actor, <laughs> as a creator, and a comedian. Like this made it so much worse. And also, um, yeah, I mean, just knowing that like this seems like a product of like a weird algorithm instead of actual human thought is is really upsetting. 
I mean, I, I, I said it already, but I appreciate the wacky side characters of Siegfried and Roy. And other than that, I got a whole lot of nothing here. Um, <laughs> and any show whose final button in your first episode is an implication that a monkey and Siegfried had sex as a, quote, office romance well, uh, is really bothersome to me. So I actually want to lead that into Rich's Game of the Week. Ding, 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 oh, ding, no. ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Rich, you better be careful. <laughs> now, you guys, we have talked a lot today about interspecies love, uh, with the with the potential name of that being bestiality. Uh, <laughs> now, I want to I want to give this a uh, a little Price is Right style treatment of uh, according to the Kinsey Institute from a oh, survey no. that they did. What uh, up, IU? Indiana University-based yeah, Kinsey shout Institute. Out, shout out to all of our alma mater, Indiana University. Shout out to Alfred Kinsey, friend of the pod. Uh, <laughs> uh, by the percentage point uh, from the survey that they did, what, perce- what percentage of men admitted to having a bestial or sex with an animal? Or some sort of sex with an animal. Close this without going over. Jeff Kerbis, what do you got? First of all, Rich, I <laughs> really despise you for not for the question for making me go first because this is Price's Right rule. <laughs> to be fair, you're on the top of the Zoom. Um, so I will say that we are dealing with five percent of all wow. men. Wow. Wow, Max, Max Singer, what do you got for us? Um, I am going to drop a fun fact, and I am going to make my wager the viewership of the series debut. Oh my god! <laughs> and <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a twelve point three. Wow, only twelve point three people watch this. <laughs> uh, Jeff Curvis, you are the the man of the hour. You have won <laughs> Richard Richardman's bestiality challenge. <laughs> oh, no. It's going on the LinkedIn profile. <laughs> uh, according to the Kinsey Institute, eight percent of men surveyed said they had a sexual interaction. Oh with an no! Animal. I was hoping wow. I was over. <laughs> I was also. Uh, I do want to put in a footnote that uh, that that uh, that number has been cited for a lot of uh, uh, in, incorrect. Uh, survey tactics and might have uh, favored people uh, who live on farms a little too heavily uh, and also uh, they they made the claim that 50% of men who lived on farms have had sex with animals uh, a lot of problems with that one Are, is it safe to say that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas <laughs> oh, oh, oh my god oh <laughs> no so <laughs> what, what animal was that <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe a howling monkey, uh, <laughs> because I'm howling about this show. Um, instead of asking if this pilot Jeff, could moving be on very quickly, are you uncomfortable with the subject yeah, matter? I I don't want to talk about bestiality <laughs> anymore. Um, You're telling in, me. Instead of asking if this pilot could be made today or who this show is for then versus now. I, the answer to both of those questions is BoJack Horseman. <laughs> so instead of asking if the show could be made today, or who this show is for then versus now, I want to ask instead, and I want to honor animated shows that really highlighted Jeffrey Katzenberg's ideas. And because there are, when Max, I'll be honest, when you said that, 
I thought of a show that had debuted more recently than 2004, and that was Big Mouth. Being able to use a show that is animated to talk about super serious things in a lighthearted manner and sometimes get very serious with those topics. So I leave the floor open to you two gentlemen. Is there a show that you would like to highlight that you think more so hits the idealized world that was pitched when this show was created? So I think the only thing that we can really lean back on is uh, is Big Mouth and BoJack, like you were saying. I you know I can't think of another show, maybe King of the Hill, that really dives into like some more like adult themes, but without doing it in such a way that it's like overly grotesque and and kind of like for an immature watcher. Um, what what do you think, Max? What what would be a, a something in your mind that says like, oh yeah, this actually encapsulates the dream of Jeffrey Katzenberg, other than uh, eight minute shows that you can watch on your phone and can't take screenshots of. I mean, I'm a, I'm a really big <laughs> proponent of animation is a like it's a it's a medium, not a genre necessarily. Like you should be able to use animation to tell any story really, and so I I do agree with like what his intentions were here. There are obviously fun, fantastical adult animated things like Tuca and Birdie, Archer, um, the short-lived animals from HBO. But yeah, really, there aren't a lot that I can think of like off the dome that deal with like serious adult issues. They do tend to lean back into that fantastical element. Um, but goddamn, if I don't want people to keep trying... Yeah, I think uh, I think The Simpsons also accomplishes a uh, a good uh, life lesson of what happens when you put crayons in your brain. A realistic scenario for most adults. So one other or two other shows that I will um, sort of give my honor to, and these might not come off as obvious, is if you're looking for an animated show that you can really enjoy the plot of, and you can also it might not be deemed a comedy. But they do do a really great job of addressing some of these topics that are a little bit harder to talk about. Watch the original X-Men series that you can find on Disney Plus or watch Young Justice, which you can find on HBO Max. Both of those series do such a fantastic job about tackling some really tough issues like um, racial diversity as well as the concept of gender identity and just the idea of being different and addressing differences. As much as I appreciate, you know, I think it is very clear. I don't want to speak for both of you, but we do not recommend watching this pilot unless you <laughs> want to be dumbfounded and scarred for the rest of your life. Would Would you both agree with me on that? Yeah, I mean, it would depend on how much weed you're smoking. If you're smoking a lot of weed, Father of the Pride, it's for you. I need to be very careful, seeing as we are currently on an airplane, to not use a word to describe this show that'll get us air marked. Oh, no. yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big time flop for sure. Oh, man. So oh, as man. we're in agreement, as we are flying this plane down, instead of taking the twenty or so minutes to watch Father of the Pride, instead dedicate it to something a TV show that you think really will speak to some of those issues and address some of those topics. But, but really quick, Jeff, <laughs> remember how I said I was going to get back to there being more about not this not being the original pilot? Uh-oh. Uh -oh. 
So, if you were to spend some money and purchase this show on DVD in its entirety, no way. you will also find that the order of episodes that NPC aired is not the order that they are released on the DVD set. We what? got a happy so, ending scenario? <laughs> so yeah, somewhere between DreamWorks, NBC, airing this, these episodes are all entirely rearranged. On the DVD, this is episode four. What? In NBC airing, it is the series premiere. Um, this was the biggest show of the week that it aired. It got a 12.3. It dropped by 20% in viewership to week two. Oof. And it was pulled from the lineup in November. Oh my God. Um, it probably also didn't help that multiple airings of this were interrupted in primetime for updates on the 2004 presidential oh. election. Oh my God. Uh, so the cancellation of Father of the Pride is probably the second worst thing that George W. Bush orchestrated. Oh, no. He, he, he guys is president of NBC. You know, oh, wait, wait, we discovered, we know who animated this show. It was definitely George W. Bush. I've seen his he, paintings. He is a painter, yes. He does love painting animals. He does, he loves painting cats. Um, Bush did 12.3. Oh, my God. Um, for those also to just to add to Max who are curious, there were 13 total episodes of this made that you can find on Peacock if you really are very curious, but please, I beg of you anything but this, um, look, if you know how to, if you, if you're a, if you're a good time boy, like, like we all are, uh, there's no better way to spend six and a half hours than binging all of this. And if you're listening to this episode and you want to complete the TV Pilots License Challenge and watch all of Father of the Pride on DVD, uh, <laughs> please send us proof and, I don't know, we'll get you a prize or something. We'll yeah, make yeah, you yeah, a one out of one t-shirt, handmade. I'll, I'll, I'll send we'll you a shirt that says Rich Edmonds Bestiality Challenge. Oh. <laughs> Rich. We're sitting on a warehouse of them. We need to get these out of here. <laughs> If you follow us on Spotify and show us proof that you also bought the DVD, Rich will send you a DM saying you won the Rich's Bestiality Challenge. <laughs> Screenshot it, making make your profile picture for any social media. So, you know, the plane is landing, gentlemen. As much as this has been a very bumpy ride with a ton of turbulence, where can we find you both? Uh, you can find me on all things social media at Maxwell Singh. Uh, you can find comedy sketches from myself and Rich Inman on TikTok at Dad Wagon Comedy. That's right. You can find me on Instagram at Damn That's Rich. And you can find me at Run Jeff Run on Instagram on, and on Twitter. You can also find us on TV Pilots License on Instagram, Twitter, as well as on our YouTube channel. And if you're looking to listen to us, you can find us on all major podcasting platforms including anchor if you want a one spot to shop From yeah throw that subscription throw that like drop them five star reviews oh yeah with, leave reviews leave reviews yeah, talking please, about leave, please, leave a challenge. review leave a if review if you want to talk more about father of the pride please let us know <laughs> We, we could just make this an all-Father of the Pride podcast. If you have other shows that you really would like us to listen to, make sure to follow us, leave us a note. We'd be happy to add it to the schedule. But until then, we're signing off, 
and Viva Las Vegas.